Welcome to episode 75 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we sat down with Brent Jackson. Me? No, Brent Jackson. Me? No, we sat down with Brent Jackson. Oh, Jackson Black. Yes, today we sat down with Brent Jackson, a.k.a. Jackson Black. It was a great conversation. But before we get into the show, a couple of notes. Uh, we are going to be in New York next week. Woo! If you want to meet up, tweet at us, get at us. We're going to be there next Thursday. That is November the... Looking 12th. at my calendar, it's the, the 12th. 12th. Uh, we, we're going to have a meetup on the 13th. We're going to have a meetup on the 13th. Uh, follow us on Twitter for details. We'll be tweeting uh, updates on that. So if you're in New York or in the area and want to hang out, grab a beer, maybe come listen to a live show. We're going to release that stuff as soon as we can, but we know we have a limited amount of people who can get in. So it's a pretty small room, like 70 people or so. So yes, follow us on Twitter at Design Details FM. And we will look forward to meeting you all in New York City. Before we get into episode 75, though, we have two sponsors we want to thank for making the episode possible. First up, as usual, Dropbox. You know them, you love them, you sync your files with them. They are one of the best collaborative tools that we could possibly imagine. They're so, so good. Brian, do you use Dropbox? I use Dropbox. I love Dropbox. I recently encouraged some engineers I work with to download Sketch. And we use Dropbox to keep all the sketch files up to date with specs and designs. And our with workflow your previous is, versions? With previous versions. Oh, yeah. The workflow is awesome now. They are on sketch. They're digging into files. They get all the measurements, all the type sizes. It is so smooth. And if they save something by mistake because they have autosave left on? We have revision history. <laughs> yeah, Dropbox is awesome. It makes our lives easier, especially with spec, uh, keeping all of our audio synced cross sent to everyone and now with paper you can actually write notes around things and have the files embedded so that people can work with them right in line basically dropbox suite of products makes you better at doing your job it makes us better at doing ours we're hugely thankful that they sponsor the podcast and make it possible for us to keep doing this they've been hugely supportive and we can't thank them enough so go check them out at dropbox.com thank you once again to dropbox our second sponsor is a new one and one we are super excited to have be a part of design details they've been a part for a they've while been a part it's Wayno. Wayno. They're the first place we actually went and recorded an episode that wasn't in Brian's kitchen. Wayno is a digital design agency. They have an amazing tagline. Bryn, you're good at reading it. The all-dancing, all-singing, fast-growing, not-quite-bourgeois, not-quite-bohemian, full-service digital agency. Yes, and we have had the founder, Haralder Thorlifson, Hallie, on the show twice now. He was on our last live episode. First live episode. Our first and last live episode. Hey, you don't know that. Most recent live episode. That's what I mean. It's an amazing company. They're putting out amazing work for companies like Airbnb, Medium, Lonely Planet, Google, Fitbit, Dropbox, uh, Red Bull, a bunch of other companies. The work is beautiful. It's insane. They're like on a whole different level. If I could pick one agency to work with, honestly, Wayno. Yes. Their work is stunning. They just opened an office in New York a few months ago. So now they have offices here in San Francisco. And they're hiring in both of them. Yes. So if you want a job, go to wayno.co. The last person they hired was a listener, someone that we had like just encountered right before they got hired out here. His name's Al Watson. Really awesome dude. Yeah. So if you want a job, go to ueno.co. That's U-E-N-O dot C-O. Check them out on Dribble. Follow their work. Follow Hallie on Twitter. Uh, it's all amazing work. We are so glad that they're part of the show now. So once again, that's ueno.co. Thanks again for sponsoring the show. And with that, let's get into episode 75 with Brent Jackson. Hi, I'm Brent Jackson. Um, I'm a designer. I think a lot about design systems and cats. All right. So let's talk about React. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but really, what are you working on right now? Um, currently, I'm working at The Grid. Um, so the, the Vaporware company? Not Vaporware. I've seen stuff. It's not Vaporware. Okay. Um, there is some very, very impressive stuff going on. I just love all the designer news comments about like it's we were just talking definitely about paperwork. You know what? Like <laughs> designer news, I used to check it out. I would never engage with comments, but yeah. like there used to be good articles on there, and I feel like in the past like few months, it's just kind of really just fallen off. And I'm, like I pull it up like a couple times a week, and I'm like, this is stuff I found on Twitter, and this is stuff that I'm like, nothing new is here. There's just weird news now. Yeah, it's, it's lazy news. But you're working with the grid now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, How's that going? It's crazy. Like the stuff they're working on is like mind blowing. Like talking to the CEO, I'm just like, I don't really understand what you're saying, but this sounds 
exactly like the type of thing I want to be working on. So for people that don't know what the grid is, can you explain it and then go into like what you're working on specifically? Sure. It's a, a website builder that uses artificial intelligence and you know you could like artificial intelligence in the term of like actual robots or is it just like a marketing term for like for like rules we literally have little robots with arms and legs and they walk around and they put things together um they draw mock-ups on you know so you're a hardware company um i think they buy all the hardware okay they're mostly just programming the robots um yeah and what are you focused on what am I focused on? I uh, So there's like kind of the core product, which uh, you give it input and it creates a website for you. I work on sort of the user-facing admin UI um, where you're like, here's the content that I have. Here's kind of like how I want to set my website up. And you hit submit, essentially, and it creates a website for you. There's like a lot of like deep things that I don't understand about the core product, um, but I'm mostly focused on like what the user's like the people that actually sign up for the grid, what they're working on. How did you decide to join the grid in the first place? You know, uh, I took some time off this summer and talked to a lot of different companies. And You were at Etsy before. I was, yes. Yeah, I talked to a lot of different companies, some very interesting ones. This one really like just somehow like ticked a lot of like checkboxes and like what I'm like interested in. Did you have specific criteria for what you'd want your next job to be? Uh, you know, I think on your show you had Wilson Miner. He was talking about making like a checklist of like what you look for in like a job, and I sort of did that in a fuzzy way. I didn't do it like in a physical way, like a notebook. But you know, there's really passionate people, a uh, really cool product. Um, it's all this automation stuff. It's really next level. Like if you think about how we build websites today, and like the tools that designers use, the tools that developers use. Mm-hmm. This like the product they have right now is just like one implementation of that, and I feel like this is like this is going to happen. It's inevitable. Okay. Know? I, I could talk about sci-fi in the future a lot, and I feel like this is like a job that felt like very like future. Did you discover the grid, or did people at the grid reach out to you? Um, so I'd been following like John Gold on and off. <laughs> Huge mistake. Yeah, probably a mistake, but he's like really smart guy. Really like him. Do smart people drink like MGD though? Well, that's questionable. Okay, I respect it though. I respect his enthusiasm for America a lot. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> I just saw a picture of him in a red, white, and blue tank top, and it was glorious. I can imagine. Yes. I, I would have liked to have seen that. No, Jungle is great. Um, so, like, just kind of followed him, and he started talking about, like, hey, I'm starting to work here. And that kind of piqued my interest. I'd, like, heard about it a year ago, and, like, when they first announced and launched, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, I'll talk to people there. Put me in touch. Talk to Lee Taylor. Mm-hmm. And... Like the first conversation I had with this guy was like, this guy gets design systems. This guy really understands like all this stuff. And like, I just like, he was like, let me know if I'm going too fast. Like I'll keep, I was like, no, keep going. I would just want to hear more. And like, I think we had scheduled like half an hour and we ended up talking for like an hour and a half. It just got me really excited about what they're working on and what they're like trying to do. What was the interview process like? Was it just that call or did you have to do anything formal or exercises? Um, yeah, I did like five design exercises where I had really? to no. Oh god. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? No, it's pretty it's pretty relaxed. They're a small company. Um they're mostly distributed, so I did a few like Google Hangouts with mm-hmm. different parts of the team. Yeah, and just kinda went from there. Started off as like contract work and then I've just kinda like continued on since then. Okay. I'm super curious because uh you've built up this huge portfolio of like little mini projects, which I feel like probably contributed to how you're able to get the job at the grid? Do you've, you're kind of a known quantity, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Well, you have work out there that a lot of people know about. Highly prolific. I don't know about highly prolific. I, I do a lot of open source projects. It feels like you don't stop. I don't stop. My brain doesn't stop. Sometimes I just like have things going on in my head in the background, and I just got to like kind of get it out and put it out there. Um, a lot of the open source projects I work on are in some way related to what I'm working on, like at my full-time jobs. And I think like, if you ask me specifically about any one of them, it's like, you know, this is, this is kind of like part of my process where, you know, I was working at Kickstarter and there's a certain application a certain like environment. And like by building base CSS, I was able to get outside of that and kind of explore things without like, it's kind of like getting outside of the sandbox and like just seeing what can be done. Can you talk about how you manage your time to build all these projects? And since they're open source, like what do you put into maintaining them and responding to issues and requests and things like that? 
Yeah. So I, th I think like base CSS is probably the one I've spent the most like effort on, like as far as like trying to upkeep and trying to be like that person that like manages issues, manages like people contributing and whatnot. It's a lot of work. It's like surprising. And there's a lot of like conceptual things that I do with it where I'm like, I, it's, it's hard to explain to people like, yes, this is probably a good idea, but I don't think it's right for this project. I feel like a lot of designers will sketch and um, try things out, build mockups, build prototypes, whatever. And in some ways doing these open source projects are like sort of my way of doing that. And I don't know, like I used to use CodePen a lot and it's like, you can just isolate the idea and kind of figure something out. And I think open source projects allow you to do that too. And I like it because I could do this in CodePen or do this like privately and not share it, but like by putting it up on GitHub and letting people like contribute to it and see it and like absorb it. Like I'm not that great of a speaker. I'm not that great of a writer, but if people can kind of like see something, then they can get some of these ideas. Like there's the concept of like show don't tell when you're writing, right? Like a lot of like authors use this. And I think like I'm much better at showing than telling. Adam is really great about talking about Adam Morse. Adam Morris, yes. The Mers to your Jackson. Yes, the Mers to my Jackson, who like I've worked with at three different jobs now, which is cool. He's also with Grid. Um, he was on the show. But he, he kind of like taught me a lot about CSS and he is very good. And I think also like Harry Roberts is very good at explaining like concepts with like why this is a good thing to do. And, you know, I think some of that stuff clicks in my head, but I'm not good at explaining to people like why this is a good thing. Man, Harry's incredible at it. Yeah. I'd love to meet that guy. Yeah. He's so good with words. Harry, get at me. <laughs> Time management. Do you have a system? I don't know. You He's, roadmap it? I have roadmap. Yeah. I have a, I have a two hour roadmap that I work out of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what, okay, what do I need to do today? How's the best way to do that? How do I like explore like this, like ideas? The thing is you don't need to do it. Like there must be something intrinsic to be putting out all this open source stuff. Like what's the motivation behind all this? Is it you basically open source your music too. Like it's just like out there immediately. Really oh, short. Oh yeah. 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 Is it is it just the satisfaction of having putting something out in the world? Is it a, a self challenge to learn something new? Like what is the motivation? Because at this point your list of projects is getting really long, right? Yeah. Yeah. My friends asked me for like an RSS feed of like when I update things. I think the music thing's probably a good thing to start from because I did that way before I was like into coding and okay. into GitHub and like way before I knew Git. I've been like producing electronic music for like over a decade, been using like Ableton since like version two had just Did you say out. Ableton? Yeah. I've never heard it pronounced that way before. Well, I had some German friends and they say Ableton. They don't say Ableton. Interesting. And it like stuck with me. Yeah. When I lived in Shanghai, I was a DJ and there's a lot of German DJs that worked at or use Appleton and worked at Appleton. I want to answer, get the answer to this question, then go back to your background because I want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Answer to what question? Uh, we lost what, it. We're what, already gone. We'll we'll get to Shanghai and DJing. That's crazy. But uh, the motivation, like, why? What's the? Oh yeah, let me keep on track with yeah. microbeats. So yep. like, I've been producing music. Um, I got to a point where I just like would start tracks and never finish them, and like. I felt like what I was doing. <laughs> That's where everyone lives. <laughs> yeah, like everyone's got this problem. And I was like, okay, so how how do I like kind of get around this problem? Like what's like a good approach? So I started time boxing myself. I was like, I'm going to spend no more than an hour, see what I can come up with, just make like a loop and put it out there. I'd done some stuff with like net labels, which no one knows about, but like creative commons, like music labels before that. And I was like, I'm just going to make loops and make them open source. And then like the more I did it, like I kept kept this up for like, two years i kind of still like do it on and off but the thing i realized was like what i was capable of doing within an hour became like it just like accelerated right and i really enjoyed like that constraints to work within just even having say like this is the hour that i'm going to do task x is is often enough to like get started and get the the, the momentum going i feel like as a junior designer i thought that constraints were like restrictive and then once you like flip the switch to like constraints are empowering it's like whole different thing and you get so much more done it's amazing totally yeah and so you feel like so that I, I really dig that like time boxing concept i was like if i had done that back in the day like how much more would i've gotten done i think i do that with like open source projects too mm. like i don't put a timer on like i do with the music but like if i'm working on something on like saturday morning if i don't get to where i want to be by lunch then i kind of put it off in like context switch right i think context switching is like key to like what i'm doing 
by like going off into this like separate world and working on an open source project, it's like a different context and it's outside of everything else. And then I can switch back into a different context again. And like that really helps me go. It's kind of like a way to solve writer's block. And I think a lot of people do this, right? Like sometimes like coding doesn't always work. So I like switch to like drawing pictures of cats in my notebook. And then like after that, I like try to work on some music or I take a walk outside or I like go have a drink with friends. Like Interesting. You always hear about it as a distraction, but think about it as a way to just like unblock yourself. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like if you do the same activity for too long, like you just kind of get stuck in a rut, right? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've spent hours pushing around one thing in like four pixel circle. Like, God, dude. <laughs> I think there's some designers that really have an obsession with like pixel perfection. Mm-hmm. And when designers don't have that, it really surprises me. I'm like, like, why? Why not build this thing on a grid? Why not build this thing? Like, it hurts perfect. my brain. Yeah, like, no, it's it's not that it, like... Well, I think that building something's on a grid is different than pixel perfection, right? They're related activities, right? They're closely entangled, interwoven. I don't know. I Maybe in my head, I think of pixel perfection as, like, the perfect amount of of contrast on an inner shadow or a drop shadow. And Speaking like, of contrast... Colorable. Colorable. That's a cool little project, right? How did, okay. how did you come to be making that? Okay. This is this is kind of interesting. This goes back to Adam and also stuff that I was working on at Etsy. Like a trend I noticed in like visual design in the past like year or so was like a lot of sites got really low contrast and like mm-hmm. just really like it seemed like people had kind of forgotten some of these like basic accessibility things that I'd like learned about and been like, okay, this is the only way to do things. Every time I do something that I think is like really sexy and tone, I'm like, what would Jackson say? I mean, oh, this is bad. Yes, low contrast looks good, but you can't sell products if you can't read the text, right? I'm also like slightly dyslexic. So when sites are really low contrast, I find it really hard to read. And I've kind of like noticed like things are becoming like more and more difficult for me to like kind of comprehend. And I'm like, I just want to read this stuff. And I use, I use Instapaper. Um, there's like Safari reader, all that stuff. Big fan of that because half the sites out there I can't read. But then I noticed like at work and like this happened in other companies as well. It's just like designers would be like, yeah, this color scheme looks great. And I'm like, this does not pass basic level this contrast that you need for a website. Right. Well, like A-level doesn't really get into the contrast stuff, um, color contrast stuff so much, but like the AA, like just basic, like, is this readable? So that was kind of like a motivation, like being a nerd, I got into like node modules and building that stuff and found like some packages that like kind of like calculated the stuff. And I was like, it'd be really cool to take an array of colors and show all the possible combinations between this array and show what the contrast values are. So I built this thing and I built a little demo site. Because I think like if you look at the site, it's not really clear what it does. You actually just spit in, like say you've got five colors put all five colors in and it gives you uh, like 25 like combinations and the contrast values for each. I made this over the weekend and then like I talked to Adam and he's like, oh yeah, that's my idea. And then like he shows me a GitHub issue that he had made a long time ago in CSS stats and it was like the exact same thing that I just built. So I was like, okay, we steal each other's ideas a lot, which I think we're both okay with. Well, you're working on CSS stats together now. Yeah, yeah. CSS stats is interesting. That's a good Adam story as well. What's the CSS stats one? CSS stats. Um, I worked with Adam at a company called Stitch Fix, and that's kind of like when I started getting into coding. Um, he was really big on this like object-oriented CSS thing. Got me to read some like Nicole Sullivan and um, got that ooks. Yeah, like all into that. Like he was like I was just trying to learn how to use Git and how to like actually like it was some jQuery stuff and how to do ERB and Rails. Like this was like familiar enough but like all new to me at the same time and at the same you know i i'd been doing like html css prototypes with things like ratchet like the first version of ratchet and like things before that and he was all about object-oriented css i was like it took me about two months i was like i don't really get why you do this but that's not really related to css stats sort of is it's css adam and i when we work together like fuel each other a lot and like i think this idea started like to kindle while we were at stitch fix and I think I'd moved to New York and he was going to be doing a talk about CSS. And he was like, I want to build this thing that like just analyzes, like he had discovered, I think it was rework, which is something that parses CSS, like post CSS is the thing that does this now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it parses CSS syntax and gives you an AST, an abstract syntax tree representation of the CSS. And he was like, you can use this and show like all these different like stats about css i was like that's cool and (laughs) 
you know, I dabbled with like Angular, but I wasn't like super like I'm still not very good at JavaScript. Didn't know that much. He had like used this thing to create a piece of JSON and it was just like a few different sites and he had this like whole like data structure of like CSS and I was like, oh yeah, I could take this and like make something out of it. And the first version of the site was like purely built for his talk, very snarky and kind of like weird. And I think after that people were like, oh yeah, this is cool. And Adam found some like smarter than me JavaScript developers and they built like the next version of that. And then it sat around for a while and no one had contributed to it. And I was like, all right, Adam, I know how to build this in Node in a much better way. Let's like revamp it. Adam thinks about CSS on a really deep level. And he had this idea, like this is not my idea at all. And I was kind of skeptical of it at first. And then we built it and the reception to it, I started to like, it started to click. I was like, okay, I see where this is valuable. I see like why this is a good thing to build. What's some of the results from what you've seen people using CSS stats for? Like there's a period last year where a ton of companies were pu publishing like CSS at Medium, CSS at GitHub, and they were using that tool to analyze basically the the state of their CSS and like what they needed to improve on. What's the biggest things you've seen? The, the biggest things or, I've seen? Like I trends in, in company CSS, like what are the problems? I mean, I think the same problems that existed a few years ago are still there. You know, like people tried object-oriented CSS. People tried like doing that with BEM syntax. And like, if you're really smart about this stuff, I think it's controllable. But it's still like no one's CSS is good. And like, I personally think it's a, a flaw in the language. I think there's like no... If no one's good at it, then yeah, it's clearly a flaw in the language. <laughs> right? Uh, I don't know. Like it, you can make a lot of rules around it. Like with base CSS or tachyons, like if you follow these rules, like you can get really far. But like that's not how people work. And that's not how when you're building a real product, that's not like how it works. I was like, okay, people have figured out object-oriented CSS. Maybe CSS stats will be less relevant. Maybe And like people are doing weird things with react and line styles maybe they won't need this thing but it's st there's still a need for it right like i think there's two aspects to it there's performance which i don't think i need to explain why that's important if you guys have worked at anything that's like e-commerce i used to always do like the web page analyzers and like get the speed ratings and everything yeah no this stuff's great i haven't built any heavy websites in a long time so i what's a heavy website it's like heavy metal anything over like half a meg maybe i feel like it's heavy okay yeah this gets like so at the time like when we were building css stats i was at kickstarter i think adam was at salesforce and kickstarter had like 1.1 megabytes of like uh minified css that it was serving up to desktops so i was just like, css yeah and they wow. use sas <laughs> so yeah i love sas but what yeah, everyone loves SAS, and I'm like, I've seen what SCSS, not SAS. Say what? Yeah, well, same thing. Yeah, no one uses the white space sensitive syntax anymore. Thank God. I mean, they did use the white space sensitive syntax there, but it was like a Rails app, so it kind of makes sense. You you see that? Okay. Like, a designer didn't decide to do that; someone else did. It works. It's just I, I use Vim, so it's like really hard to type. You seem like the Vim type. I get it's it. It's really hard. Yeah, it's really hard to. <laughs> format code that's white space sensitive if it wasn't invented as a white space sensitive language like ruby like them works perfectly with something like sass sass or like CoffeeScript. it just like kind of falls apart and you're just like this makes no sense and i have to indent code and unindent it a lot which is really annoying so what do you see is like the the next step because i've noticed you're writing a lot of react now with inline styles is that is that where you see the trend going I'm interested in exploring that space. Wait, inline right. styles? Yeah. You've, Is you've, that a React feature? Because otherwise that sounds terrible. It's... What are you coding? Like I'll HTML emails? That sounds horrible. I mean, I've coded some HTML emails. Me too, but I made a thing <laughs> to inline all my styles for me. Wait, have you followed this at all? Or not? No. Okay. It's not that you're just doing inline styles and it's nothing like doing... Uh, HTML emails. It's a com component-based architecture, right? I think Nicholas Gallagher came up with Suit CSS, which was a way of being like, um, I have one component, I have CSS that is tied to that component, and it's tied to nothing else, right? You get that encapsulation. And React really like encapsulates things at the component level between HTML and JavaScript, and I feel like they don't try to solve the styling problem. But the people using it are 
like this seems like an obvious thing to also control. I mean, it's just like if you have variables in a SAS file, right? Like you will have a global like styles object for your React project. And you will have like an object of colors, you will have like an array of like uh, spacing to use. So it goes like 8, 16, 32, whatever. And you can just kind of use that throughout your entire component architecture. And because they're components, you're, they're composable, right? That's where the word comes from. Well, it's not where the word comes from, but they're related. It's like bootstrap modal, right? Like that's several components. You've got like a, a header for the modal. You've got the like container thing outside of it. You've got the body of it. You've got the footer. You've got buttons inside of it. You've got whatever content inside of it. Maybe it's forms. Like all those things are individual components and it's, it's cool stuff. This is exactly what I was saying. Like show, don't tell. Like I can, I can try yeah. to like show this stuff, but like trying to like explain why it's, I'm still exploring it though. So how are you writing these inline styles that it's not like super repetitive for you? How do you write any JavaScript that's not super repetitive? I don't write JavaScript. You don't write JavaScript. I write some. I've I've written a couple apps in it, but it right. didn't feel repetitive to me. I mean, it's like dry principle, right? Mm-hmm. So anytime you notice yourself doing something twice, then you abstract it out to something else, maybe more than twice. So that's what I'm asking. How do you do inline styles that aren't just repeating yourself many times? I think one through like components, right? A button style needs a lot of very specific things to overwrite what happens with browsers, right? Um, that's the only thing that needs that. That's the only thing that needs to be like uh, WebKit appearance none or whatever. So you're using like a style tag at the top or like actual inline styles on each thing? There's different approaches. Um, there's like CSS modules that Glenn Moderns worked on that kind of like lets you write things in that way, um, but ultimately becomes CSS. And I think Nicholas Gallagher is also working on something like that called react native for web whoa what yeah it i don't understand what that name means yeah what is that <laughs> i'm this is gonna sound fanboy i have a fascination with nicholas gallagher because like he says stuff and i'm like i kind of get this but what and it it's usually about like two or three months later i'm like okay this guy totally nailed it like and i think this stuff's i'm still letting it sink in what stuff the the react native for web I'm confused. Can you explain it? Because it, first it was React was a web, and then they built Re- React Native to build mobile apps. So what's React Native oh, okay. for web? Let's back up. So yeah. part of the beauty of React is it's not trying to be the same code across platforms, um, but it's like you write similar code across platforms. Right. Um, and I think it's a problem very specific to what Facebook was trying to solve. You can build React components for the web. And that's kind of the thing that everyone's been talking about. And you can also build React components that you can use in iOS apps. And I think the Android version is out as well. There's also some weird things like React Art that lets you do stuff that's not DOM-related, not related to any platform. I haven't investigated that one very much. But they still all work the same way. They're still all components. And they're still very similar to what the web component spec is like moving towards. Does that make sense? You're, I don't know. You're getting over I'm, my head. I, I haven't. I get really following. nerdy really fast. Sorry. No, that's good. That's good because <laughs> uh, it's stuff I don't know. Can you talk to me about web components? Because that's something I feel like I've seen debate about. Those uh, are just words. They don't make any sense. Well, okay. So I got really excited about like Bootstrap two when it came out, and I was like, "This is awesome for prototyping. Like, we probably need to build Bootstrap, right? Like, this shit just makes so much sense." And Bootstrap, like. If you look at the docs, there's buttons, there's modals, there's dropdowns, there's all these like individual pieces. And I mean, there's other things that do this, but they're all just components, right? They're all like, that's the way you build UI. You have these like small building blocks and you can like build it up. And it's a really nice way to actually build like the logic of an application as well. I don't know where web components came from. I think they came from Google. Like Polymer? Yeah. Polymer was, yeah. Polymer was kind of like the most well-known thing for that. What are web components? How do I explain this? They're like Legos. They're like exactly what I want as a designer to build like UI out of, right? Um, but there's there's like the big players like Google, they own a browser, so they're able to like push the spec forward and kind of get like drag like Apple along and get like Mozilla on board it's as cheating. well. And I I see it as like Facebook didn't have they don't have a browser. But I think like Facebook's really strong in the JavaScript world, right? So like they're like they're solving their own problems, but also like pushing the JavaScripts back forward with this stuff. And it's similar, but different than what web components are. How did this all start? You're making music and you DJed in Shanghai. Like when did, when did design and products and coding come into the mix? Hmm. How far back do I go? Origin story. Um, 
as a kid, always loved art, doodled all the time. Like in middle school, like other kids would go out and like hang out at lunch and me and my friend would like hang out in the art room and draw pictures. Um, really into it. And in high school, you know, I played like PlayStation and like video games all the time. Really thought it was cool. Listen to a lot of music. And then I started to notice that, you know, some of the like albums I listened to, like Autiker and like Apex Twin, I listened to weird music as a kid. And some of these other people, like they had really cool album art. And I played this game called Wipeout. I don't know if like that's yep. something that people know about. That's a thing. Yeah. And like, I realized there was a connection between all of these things. Uh, it was this like agency, British agency, I think called Designers Public and they did design. And I was like, oh, this is a thing. Like people actually like make graphics and do things. It's not just magic that comes out of your PlayStation. It's crazy. Yeah. No, video games are amazing. I think that's what got me into music too. That and Michael Jackson. No doubt about that. Yeah, got into like graphic design, kind of realized what that was in high school. Asked my, like, I think like for my birthday, I asked for Corel Draw and got that and started learning like what vector graphics were. Kind of nerded out about it. Took some art classes in high school. Then went to school and I was like kind of debating going to art school. And I was like, no, I think I want to do something more academic. And I ended up going into like sociology. And on the side, I would take graphic design courses and just kind of got a little bit deeper into it. Did you graduate? Yes. Yes. I went to my hometown college. Which is? Which is Marshall University. There's an indie In New York? No. I'm not from New York. Where are you from? I'm from West Virginia. What even is that? Yeah, it's not Virginia. It's a different state. It um, went with the Union after the Civil War. (laughs) It's on the other side of the mountains from Virginia. And Virginia is like the capital of the South. Um, went to my hometown university. I got a degree in sociology. I got a minor in graphic design and a minor in Japanese language. After college, I'd studied abroad for a year in Japan. I was kind of considering going into like a master's program for East Asian studies, kind of continuing something in liberal, liberal arts. Um, I went to Shanghai for a year to teach English and kind of like get a feel for the culture and everything. And while I was over there, DJing, doing s- silly things and also doing some like posters and other design web design things and just kind of like realized i was like you know i think like design is what i want to do i think that's my calling and i think i'm just calling i don't know if calling is the right word i was like fate no i just felt like that was the right thing to do i was like i could be some like diplomat writing papers about like foreign policy in Asia. Yeah, fuck that shit. Design then, like, no is. one listens to that, right? But I was like, design's interesting. Was know. there a moment that clicked for you or did it just happen gradually? I think it happened gradually. I don't know. It probably clicked when I was like five years old, dancing, listening to Michael Jackson on a cassette tape mm. and headphones. I don't know. This visual picture is just hilarious. Oh, yeah. I used to, yeah, I had a, like a tape recorder and I would sing Michael Jackson to myself. It was great. I loved being a kid. I loved being a kid. (laughs) Being a kid was great. I feel like as a kid, I had the best music. There was like Michael Jackson, Madonna, and like, I don't know. It's the 80s, man. It's the best. The 80s in West Virginia. Yeah. You don't even know. There's only one city in West Virginia I know, and that's Huntington. That's where I'm from. But you said Marshall. Is that really, really Marshall University is in Huntington, West Virginia. So you're in Shanghai. You realize this is probably something you want to do. Uh, more going into design yeah so i come back i had some friends from college that ended up moving to dc and i like pinged both of them i was like hey can i crash with you for a few weeks and see if i can find a job doing design stuff and um i think i did like three interviews and found like a job at a really small advertising agency in like northern virginia outside of dc and just kind of took that and did that for a while um and where where outside dc this was in reston virginia if okay. anyone from that area like it's, i have coworkers from new dc in yeah. the virginia side so i just had to ask northern virginia is interesting um yeah rustin's like this uh this all this brutalist architecture it's really beautiful but it's like so far away from the city it's a planned community there's all these like lakes that they tried to like build a town around and like they just feel kind of like the vision of the future from the 1960s and they've kind of failed <laughs> i don't know um no it was it was a good experience um and I think, like, after a few years on a whim, I saw this, like, Craigslist posting. I was kind of, like, looking around for new jobs. And it was, like, looking for a designer. Must have gone to a top, like, design school, like, SCAD or RISD. And I was like, man. I'm 20 like, years of Photoshop experience. I'm not this person. <laughs> and, like, I go into interview. And a little bit later, they were like, 
we want to hire you. I'm like, that's cool. That was Opower. That was actually the first company I worked with Adam at. He started like a little bit later. And yeah, I think I, at that job, I worked, I, I was hired as like a visual designer, web designer or something and worked really closely with their UX designer. And I feel like that really like planted the seed for like what I do now. Is Opower wordplay on Opair? Cause Jesus. It was called Positive Energy when I started, um, which some other companies owned trademarks on. And they like hired someone to come up with a name and they came up with O-Power. My question is, how did you go from being a visual designer to picking up coding and moving in that direction and kind of pairing the you two You still things? describe yourself as a designer, but you read a lot of code. Yeah. I don't know if I would still call myself a designer. You Ooh. said that in the intro. So... Yeah. No, I feel like it's still it's in my documented. Heart. I feel like it's still in my heart. That's what I mean. Like sometimes I see what like other designers are working on. And I'm like, I don't do that. Like people talk about sketch and I'm like, I, yeah, I used that once and I don't remember anything about it. I haven't had, I hadn't had like Adobe suite installed for a year and a half or something. And I just recently reinstalled like Illustrator to be able to open up other people's files. I still have it, but I have a lot of other tools I use instead now. Yeah, it's I like, love it. It's sort of like riding a bike. I'm like doing these like keyboard shortcuts without knowing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Brains are weird. So, at what point did you start picking up code? Uh, so, I worked at Opower. Um, that's kind of where I like picked up more like the user experience kind of thing um, and doing actual user research and like worked at prototypes and like would um, kind of follow along and see uh, how that stuff worked. Uh, then I went on to Living Social. Also, like I think I was like first hired as just like a web designer and then eventually they came up with like a UX team and had a UX director, like really awesome experience there. After that, I went to a small company called Stitch Fix, which uh, Adam worked at and a few other former Opower colleagues were there as well. And yeah, it was just like small startup, like me and Adam were kind of like the only designers and we knew what we had to do, like, like just kind of had this like really like quick hit list of like priorities and um i started working on this one project and he had like got caught up in another one and the plan was like i would do like some of the initial research and this was for an internal tool that we're using which is like really awesome to do user research for internal tools because like the people that you get to work with like the participants and like the users are just like really excited about anything you can do um they were using this like really like ugly database looking like just table of like numbers kind of like app and like you give them anything they're super excited about it which like was also challenging because that's not the type of like stuff you want to get back right you want to like actually like understand what numbers they really the feel about it yeah but like i was kind of going down that route and we were at the point where we wanted to build this thing and adam was busy and he was like you know how to do html and css you got this and just kind of like took that on um learned how to do like rails erb template code learned how to use git yeah i think the first time another coworker, dave copeland like explained git to me i was like after he drew this like magnificent this guy's really smart he's written like a few books about stuff a few books about a few stuff. books about stuff <laughs> he like drew like a diagram of like how git worked and how branching like merging like all this stuff and it's a big diagram like it was about an hour long like me asking questions him like patiently being like yes this is like i don't know it was like a, a true like mentor mentee moment so and this is something we talked about with diana the other day and she said git was like the most empowering thing for designers like learning Git was like a turning moment for her. Yeah. Well, I think that was the turning moment for me, like in my downward spiral of I'm just going to keep coding. Like, I don't know if I'm still a designer anymore. Right. Like, you know what I was doing that so that I could do like some templates and CSS. And then I started doing like jQuery and like now, like I mess with node and react and like, I don't know. I built, I set up a rails app. Um, I've done some database stuff. It's like stuff that I never really thought I would like want to try to do. So you were you were forced into kind of learning this stuff, like the the pressure of having Adam not have the time to do it. Said you yeah. have to learn it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would use the word forced, but um, it was morced. Yeah, morced. <laughs> I was morced into it. Nice. <sighs> That's good. I wish I yeah. Man, Brent is fast with those. I'm gonna use that real quick. Yeah, I feel like I'm like when I think about design and when I think about building products, um, I'm always 
really conscious about like what's like what are the steps to get there it's like what's the best way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time and it's just like you know that at that moment the thing that we needed to do was just like kind of build out some like templates and erb and like add some css and put this thing together so like took that on and i think like it made me realize that i actually liked doing um doing coding i don't know what's <laughs> coding I th- I doing think the code writing code well there's yeah. something yeah. about it like i don't spend most of my time there but when i do i'm like oh man these systems like they make so much sense it's not as free form it's just it's very structured and especially if you write it well it's like oh that fe- i did it the right way like i actually did it the right way it's not like well it's kind of subjective and it's all just visual junk or whatever it, it feels much better mm-hmm more concrete and tangible yeah i feel i feel like it fits really well with like my approach to design right like i which I, is i'm very uh, yeah I, I don't, do we have another hour to explain that I don't oh, correct yes <laughs> um, what's your approach to design tell us what's my approach is uh, the 140 characters the like when i'm being interviewed like how do i explain like the way i approach problems um, what, what does the design even mean should designers code? I don't want, yeah, don't ask those questions. I don't think designer, <laughs> designers should not code because they just go down a downward spiral like I do and then like start learning databases. They start writing things about color post- contrast and like gets CSS a gateway, stats. Gets a gateway drug. I set gets up, a gateway drug. You don't, like if you're a designer, you probably don't want to mess with Redis and uh, SQL Correct. and all that. Yeah. But why not? Why? I don't know. It's interesting. You don't think it's empowering? Is that a bad word? That's a fine word to use. I feel more uh empathetic and competent when talking to engineers based on You're the not. fact that i oh i know i am not competent enough but i feel more competent working with engineers on the level where i understand a little bit about how data moves through a product right right i i think it's more than that i think there's a lot that designers can learn from like computer science approaches right it's just all joins it's joins all the way down yeah I mean, that's how I design, right? Joins all the way down? Yeah. Cool. We Mi- still, <laughs> migrations. Yes. We keep cutting you off from your, your approach to design too. Uh, Sorry. Well, okay. So we mentioned context switching. Okay. Uh, that'll get cut. I think that's really important. That's like just important on an individual level. I'm a very big fan of collaborative design processes. And I think what I've witnessed, and I learned a lot of this at Living Social, I th- think the best outcome that I see comes from when people are trying to um, do a lot of divergent thinking and um, just kind of getting outside of their comfort area and just like exploring these like really random things like talking about cats like anything that's like not really related to what you're doing and you kind of like go out there and then like kind of as a group come back and converge on like a singular idea and like you kind of converge on like ways to like solve problems um, I think the divergent convergent dichotomy is something that is very like cord the way I think about problems. It's like when I do the open source projects, I do a lot of stupid things that I think are not like that worthwhile. Like I made, do you know the Ken Burns effect? That mm-hmm. you get? Yeah. Like the docu- documentary filmmaker. I made like a SAS mixin that like tries to mimic that. And it's the, the, the stupidest thing I've ever made, but I just like made it anyway. And like that was totally unrelated to the problem I was trying to solve at the time. But I think it like helped me like focus in on what I was working on. Right. That's like in a nutshell, my process. Ken Burns effect. Ken Burns effect. <laughs> I think this is why I made it. There's this trend of big banner images, background videos, whatever, and like centered Ugh. tech. Like it all, yeah, it's a trend, right? But no one was doing Ken Burns transitions. And I was like, you can do this in CSS. Why would you not <laughs> you want not this? <laughs> this is way the fuck cooler than like videos. <laughs> Stop doing background videos. They never load crashes my iphone and then i'm sad um does that happen to you guys no no that sounds terrible a background photo a video thing that crashes your phone you haven't seen the background video trend no i've seen it it's just the worst oh, i did but it doesn't crash my phone hmm. maybe it, yeah i don't know i've got the budget iphone budget iphone yeah is there such a thing probably what does that mean it comes from west virginia that's what it means other than design process, are there any curiosities about stuff I do? Where did Skullcat come from? Where does Skullcat come from? Um, I have, I don't know, like it was trendy like 
over five years ago for everyone on Twitter to have their own like cartoon avatar. So mm-hmm. I made one. You have one. Um, and I, just, I made one at one point and it was too similar to yours. So I removed it. I was like, Oh, this is so close to this other person named basically Bryn Jackson. And I was like, no, nah. Hey, we, we can do that. You like, should. I, I feel like we could pull that off. Maybe yours is inverse. It's like <laughs> negative <laughs> photo version. Of it. You don't, you don't have the crazy hair like I do. You don't have like just the spiky things sticking up. Um, but yeah, we get, figure something out yeah and then i made another one of my friends justin grimes i made him like an avatar uh for twitter that was like a blockhead and if you go to mapbox's office in dc and use the restroom upstairs like there's a sticker of his face on the toilet seat which is pretty cool um and is that (laughs) it's pretty cool okay like my friend like the avatar that i made of my friend justin is staring at you if you use the restroom there it's pretty legit was it svg it well, I still used Illustrator back then. Yeah. Rookie move. But I think I exported it to an SVG. SVG is amazing. That SVG editor is insane. Yeah. Well, I hand-coded the Skullcat SVG, too. Like, that's, like, when I got on board with that. Yeah, no. Well, I, I, yeah. I was like, this cat, holy shit, what the hell? Yeah, it was fun. What's it called again? What? The SVG thing. The Skullcat? The editor. The editor. Paths. Paths. Yeah. So the only thing it does is let you edit the path element in SVG, um, which has a weird syntax, but it's super powerful. It's basically it, like if you do anything with curves in Illustrator, it will render out to a path, like sometimes a polygon, but like it's what you do outside of basic shapes like circle and rectangle. Anyway, um, I'd made an avatar for my friend and, you know, met Adam a little bit later or maybe around the same time that I made this. And he was like, when are you going to make me an avatar? And he'd like, ask me this year after year i'm like i don't do that i'm like i yeah i don't even know how to make an avatar for you and it was coming up on his birthday a couple years ago and i was like adam what are your two favorite things and he was like cats and halloween i was like okay i can work with that and started sketching and then came back to him with like how do you feel about your avatar being uh, a cat skull and he was like i'm cool with this and then, like, he thought I'd finished the project. Like, I'd finished making the avatar, but I was like, I have bigger plans with this. I'm going to, like, keep going on this. And just uh, was trying to learn some web audio at the time. And we both make music together. So I was, like, just going all out. And, like, the end result of the first version, I don't know if you guys know, there's, like, two versions. So, like, next year at Adam's birthday, I'm going to make v- version three. Hope that's not a surprise. Hopefully Adam's not listening. I don't think he'll actually listen to this, so it's fine. He's not a great friend yeah yes or no <laughs> yes or no um <laughs> that's terrible to say yeah the first version just like kind of turned out like uh oh yeah i used to do this with flash cool that's like what i made um have you two not made like bff css it's so right i i'm like, seeing with, the with gears potential. the gears are spinning right i now. like this idea yeah he made tachyons right and mm-hmm. He'd been talking about it forever. Just merge them into BFF CSS. Yeah. No, we, like we we have to, <laughs> we have talked on and off about like trying to like figure out like what our differences are. What are your differences? Because like we we probably like on the surface seem very similar, but like Adam and I have the best arguments and I don't I can't even like pinpoint what it is, but like he and I will disagree on like some like it's not pedantic. It's like some fundamental aspect of like what we're doing and neither one of us will budge, but like we'll both learn something from each other. Right. I just assume it sounds like rah, rah, rah. <laughs> Adam's got a very dynamic voice around the time I met him. He had um, a cube that you actually use to learn Braille with. And he was like actually training himself to read Braille. And I was like, yeah, this guy's cool. I'm going to like become friends with this guy because he's trying to learn Braille. That's reason, right? I guess. I don't know. It's pretty cool. That's impressive. I think it shows his like empathetic side and also his like curiosity with like things like that. It's like a it's a written language. It's a like writing system. And, yeah, I don't know. This has been Adam Details. Adam Details. Yeah, yeah, I want to get back to you. So you've been thinking a lot about color systems, type systems, web systems. What's the next system that, that feels like the biggest challenge for you or something you're thinking a lot about? I don't think it's necessarily just like one system or the other. You just solve them all? Just one at a time? I don't think you could solve color them Color solved. Type solved. I actually think I'm terrible with color. Fitter, fitter happier headlines. Solved. That, that Did came. I say that right? Fitter, happier text. Yeah. Yeah. You know that comes from, right? It's a Radiohead reference. Okay, no. no. Okay. That's a great Radiohead song. Are you guys Radiohead fans? No. 
Okay, I don't know why I'm on this podcast. <laughs> Shit, he storms out the door. Um, fitter, have your text. What What's next to solve? I don't. I don't know. Like, I'm very fascinated with what you can automate, and you know, like the the color rule thing. Like, I'm not trying to figure out what your color palette is, right? I'm not trying to like create that for you. I think that's still within like human hands, and still like what designers are um, like interested in. It's like an exploration tool on one aspect. It's like what color combinations actually work and like, can I get away with? And like, it shows you things that you might not have tried on your own. Right. So it's kind of like a, like, here's something to augment the way you were thinking about this problem. And I don't like, I'm very fascinated with open source projects that don't necessarily like, I don't think anything I've made like solves a problem, but I think what it tries to do, Hmm. you don't think it solves a problem. Do you think maybe it does i don't know are you feigning humility or no maybe i yeah i might have a tendency to do that but i, I don't think i don't think anything's like here is like base css is not the best solution to the css is just a logical conclusion that i came to but i think when people are exposed to it they learn something more about styling and systems and like design and like I, that's my hope right that's like I kind of use that as a teaching tool more than a like, you know, if someone like built an application with like inline styles or built something with like a smacks approach or like use bootstrap, that makes a ton of sense. Like they've got some system, they've got some like approach to it. I think I see base CSS is just like, here's something that I haven't seen anyone do yet. Like here's like a way to stretch your mind and kind of think about this stuff differently. And it's For like people that don't know, could you just define what that, the point of it is or the like point, the philosophy behind base, base CSS, CSS basics? Um, it's kind of evolved over time. So it definitely stemmed from the work I was doing at Kickstarter. There were SAS mixins. There was one called dot block or whatever at block. I don't remember SAS index. And all it did was display block. And that was used hundreds of times throughout the code base. I don't like something dawned on me where it was a lot easier to track down and manage things that were happening at the template level, um, than it was to track down what was happening in like all the SAS files. And also like every time you use that mix in, you're declaring display blocks. So you're like essentially duplicating code. And it's like, if you duplicate that code in the template instead, that stuff doesn't go down the pipe. Like it only goes down the pipe when it's needed. It only like comes down to the user. So like, that's kind of like the genesis of base CSS, you know, like I was probably thinking more in the lines of like what Adam ended up doing with tachyons before that, where it's just like he, I think something people miss about that is there's there's like academic research that shows like, you know, using command line utilities is actually like, you know, it's not easy to learn, but once you've internalized things, um, you are able to like come to solutions faster or something. I, like, I'm not going to explain this, but like there's some like deeper thing that like Adam's trying to get to there where it's like, instead of just being obvious, like you have to like go over this barrier to learn this thing. And once you have that, then it like actually speeds you up a lot and you're able to like formulate things faster and read things faster. I'm just kind of going down that track. And the other designers at Kickstarter like already had, they had like a, a left and a right class and that was for float left and float right. And I was like, these guys are already like edging on this, but they probably don't think it's okay to do. They're just like, this is a hack. And you know, like kind of like working with them and building out a like fuller system of this, this is a way to like quickly build out the like UI that we needed and also reduce the size of the CSS and also make things more maintainable. I think like I saw that they were able to like build parts of the application out faster using this new approach than they were like before, because they would have like all this, um, like, you know, it's specificity wars and like all the other problems that you have with CSS where you're just like trying to overcome like what was there before. And, you know, if you're working at like this atomic level, it's very easy to like just move things around. Having really small utility classes, right? And you declare those in the template and you construct elements by just doing some combination or other of these utility classes. Am I explaining that right? Yeah. And like, I think a lot of people see that as you're just going to like put this all over the markup, but, and I think this is something that attracts me to react. Like if you look at the Kickstarter video player, right, there is only one part of the template code that is the video player. Like 
the controls, like all the like things that exist in one place. And if you're just using utility classes to build that, yeah, I broke some stuff when I started like tweaking with that. I won't lie, but like, that's what you want, right? You just want a one video player. It uses the same buttons that the rest of the site uses. It uses a progress bar that we've used like somewhere else too. And like, you're just like kind of like building that in the template. That's like where that difference in the UI should exist within that like video player thing, right? Rails is weird and you can get into partial inception but i think like partial inception yeah yeah partials inside partials inside partials yeah have you guys worked on rails apps no mm-hmm. a little bit i only my roommate Matt i only style them i don't like actually work in the erb structure does it become a debate do you have trolls sure yeah, i mean yeah i i find that i get less trolly stuff with the css stuff now then like when like when I first put base CSS out, people were like, How is this different than inline styles? Now people are actually doing inline styles, so it's like, okay, now they get to like <laughs> aim their like anger at that stuff and they're like, Okay, whatever. Did you, have you seen Fat's Cascading Shit Show mm-hmm. talk? Yeah. So I feel like We that, had Fat on here and before that that was like part of the required research. Yeah. It's an amazing uh, talk. I want to meet that I dude. That dude's awesome. Really? Um he I love that guy. Mad respect for that guy. Um his talk, like I think like just Maybe this is not what he intended, but like what I got from his talk was like, okay, like CSS came from here and like really great details history. And then there was suit CSS and tagging on CSS. And that was the logical conclusion. That was the end. Like, I kind of feel like I don't know where you would go next with what CSS is capable of. Delete it? Delete it. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah, it's very fun to delete CSS, right? CSS4. Yeah, this like that stuff's kind of tied to like the spec web component thing, but like there's been way less traction on things like um, custom properties. There's a standardized specification for basically what you get with variables in like SAS or less, but it's a lot more powerful than what you're able Built to do. Built-in CSS variables. Yeah, heard about that one time from Fat. Yeah, but like even the, the like polyfill stuff that people use is not what it's capable of. You can actually do some really interesting like inheritance and like overriding with it, which I don't like. Interesting inheritance. Yeah, like I don't. That's not a sense I thought I'd ever hear. Well, okay, so one of the tenets of like web components is that you get style encapsulation. So you know how like when you're like using an input element, if you really want to like hack the inside of it, you have to reach into the shadow DOM, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you build a web component that's all in the shadow DOM and it's like impenetrable, it's like you cannot style it from the outside. The impenetrable shadow dom. Yeah, yeah, it sounds gross. Um, <laughs> I think, I, I think, yeah, I've definitely read that word used somewhere. Um, yeah, but like, if you had custom variables, then you could be like, "This is my button," but I'm <laughs> this button, is my button. My button. There are many like it, but this one this is, is my, my button. <laughs> but there are many like it. Um, like custom varies variables let you do more interesting things at that level. But you know, like if you just want to change the color of something and not really if. I don't know. This stuff's weird. Like, why? Why do we even need to customize what an input element looks like? Like, because it look bad by default. No, it works though. It like, works, but it looks bad. Not if you're used to it. Like all websites used to just have like input elements. That's I don't like know. I feel like, like we got. It's like saying Ford Tauruses don't look bad because you're used to them. They look pretty bad. No, those are. They look those, like jelly beans. Those are fundamental design flaws, right? So are checkboxes. If you have you the default ones. Yeah. The default ones Not in great. latest Safari, I'm 100% okay with. Latest Safari is a different story than most people. Yeah. I don't the, know. The Chrome ones are gross. The Firefox ones are gross. Maybe. They the still Opera work. ones, who they even s- looks at those? Okay, so like maybe they don't look great, but they work, and people understand how to use them. And I see people... Functional non-CSS. <laughs> I didn't follow that. You see people what? No, I see people like changing things that work for the sake of changing. Yeah, but like I think in for the doing, sake of pretty. Yeah, for the sake of pretty, but in doing that, harm the functional like good parts of things. Okay. Yeah, if you're like building custom checkboxes and custom radios, uh, there's a million hacks to get it to work in all the browsers and and look fine when you could just use the default one, right? Yeah, like, is that the best use of our time? Is that the best use? Like, should I prioritize any of my design work towards, like, doing any sort of custom foreign elements? Dude, like, do the what five... is life if you're not going ham on radios? God. <laughs> Where's less sarcastic, Bryn? I don't know that person. Oh, I like this one. He stole my name. But I, I legit went for, like, ham radio there. That was the... 
spending all of that. Well, we have been going for over an hour. My last question. Sure. Jackson Black, Brent Jackson. What's going on here? Do you want to know why people call me Jackson? Yes. In high school, we had to take like a foreign language. We had to take either like German, French, or Spanish. And last year of high school, they were like, oh, we have Japanese class now. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to do Japanese. Kept doing that. Did it in college. Made a lot of Japanese friends. Um, everyone, like in Japanese, you just call people by their last name. So people call me Jackson-kun. Turned out like when they kind of like learned what my first name was, they either called me blend or bread. <laughs> Something about like all the consonant sounds in B R E N T that like was really difficult. But like Jackson, like everyone knows that name. So it was like super easy. Uh kind of went with that. Um one of my really good friends went to study abroad with me in Japan as well. And he knew me as Jackson and then come back and he was going to the same college as me. And I would try to introduce myself to like Does Kun mean boy? Uh yeah. It's, Sakura it's, cha? Yeah, it's like Chan is like chan. for like it's like Mrs. and like Mr. but for kids. <laughs> Mr. but for kids. <laughs> well, for, for yeah, non married adults, I guess. I don't know. Like Got that's it. a weird cutoff. It's different. But came back to the US, was going to college with this guy. I introduced myself to new people and be like, Hey, I'm Brent and he would be like, No, you are Jackson and be very adamant about it and like kinda kept it up. So I was like, Whatever and just gave up at like all these like people were calling me Jackson. After college I went to Shanghai to teach English and just kind of like kept with it. It was just easy. And then, you know, I was teaching kids, so they wanted to call me teacher, but I was like, no, call me Mr. Jackson. Um, I taught at an international school, so I was teaching Korean and Japanese and Taiwanese and like basically non-Chinese kids, but that were foreigners in China. And some of my Japanese students, they were like middle school age, they learned what my first name was and they started calling me Mianbao, which is like I'm terrible at Chinese pronunciation, but it's a word for bread. And they thought that my first name was bread. So people call me Jackson. <laughs> people don't get my first name right either. So yeah, the first time I heard it on the podcast, I was like, no, that's me. We're not that close. That's different enough. Yeah. You got an extra consonant. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah. Thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> Anything you want to plug before you go? Check out Murs Jackson. Um, that's me and Adam's music. It's on iTunes, Spotify, RDO. It's my mother's name. So yeah, it's also my mother's name. It makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if I got anything to plug. Uh, cool. Murs Jackson. That's cool. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time. Appreciate yeah, it. Flying out all the way from New York just to be here with us. Yeah, that's clearly that's it. Exactly why I came out here. Future of design details. Yep. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. School cat. School cat. School cat. Cat. That was episode 75. We hope you enjoyed listening Skull to cat. Brent Skull cat. Jackson, Jackson Black. Uh, it was a lot of fun. If you did enjoy it, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you thought. We're at Design Details FM or leave us a review on iTunes. Those help us move up the charts, help new people find the show, or join us in our Slack team. We're getting close to 2,000 designers and developers and they're hanging out. If you enjoyed listening, hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to hear what you think. Of course, you can leave a review on iTunes. Those are insanely helpful. We love reading the reviews. Uh, and of course, that helps us move up in the charts, which helps new people find the show. If you want to get involved with the spec community, we have our Slack team. We're almost at 2,000 people in there, which is insane. To join that, just go to spec.fm slash slack. Of course, it's totally free, and we would love to see you in there. And of course, spec is a network. It's not just us on the network. We've got some really awesome shows. Go check out Developer T, Immutable, Vicarious, and Does Not Compute. Vicarious comes out Thursday. The rest of them are already out. You can go check them out right now. Uh, it's going to be really awesome. They're pretty solid shows. Before we go, huge thank you to the two sponsors that made this episode possible. Thank you once again to Dropbox. They are the best way to keep all of your files synced and saved across all your devices. It's a service we use every single day for our day jobs for spec. We love them. We use them all the time. They're coming out with amazing applications like Paper, Carousel, Mailbox, of course, to keep your emails in check. Just think about the work we'd have to do if it weren't for them. Emailing files constantly... That would be insane. The worst. I don't want to think about that. Instead, we just hit save on Logic, and it goes to Sarah, and she edits it, and then she posts it up to Simplecast, and then you get to hear it in your earballs. Yes. Dropbox is so easy. We really appreciate them. Go to dropbox.com to check them out, sign up, start keeping your files synced. Because really, is there anything better than that? Nope. Our second sponsor is Wayno, our favorite agency. They make everything beautiful. Wayno is a digital agency. They have offices here in SF and they just opened one in New York. 
cranking out amazing work for some really great companies like the Airbnb, best companies. Medium, Dropbox. They did work for Dropbox. They're really incredible. They're truly talented and they just want to support the show. They listen to the show. We've had Hallie on the show twice and they just want to be a part of this and we are immensely thankful. Go to wayno.co. That's U-E-N-O dot C-O. Check out their work. And if you want a job, hit them up. Thank you once again to Wayno. We'll see you on Monday with Justin Edmond.